take you now to Kermit the Frog with another fast-breaking news story. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know why they didn't uh, give him more screen time. He was like, he was in all the trailers, and then he's only in the movie for a few seconds. Drew did a great job. What was it? Hmm? Oh, uh, hi-ho there. This is Kermit the Frog of Sesame Street News, live from Vinny's Puppet Pleasure Land, where what appears to be a robbery gone wrong has just occurred. We have reason to believe there were multiple casualties, but we're here to get some more information so we can deduce what happened. Uh, excuse me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was driving down to the church in Garden Grove with my wife Ethel, who is incidentally my cousin Daryl's ex-lover, and I saw this little puppet porn shop by the side of the road. Now, by now, it should be clear that this episode of this podcast is not for children, and we're not really going to censor anything in this one. So, if you have sensitive ears, just skip through all the parts where we're talking about the Happy Time movie. Now, I saw the little porn shop by the side of the road and cried out, Don't look, Ethel! But it was too late. She'd already seen it and gotten started. Uh, she started doing what, exactly? Porn. She, she, she was just taking off her clothes and humping the side of the car. We're overdue for her monthly exorcism, so she's particularly susceptible to ungodly evils right now. Ah, uh, well, can you describe the crime at all, sir? The real crime is the disgrace against God that is pornography. Okay, thank you very much there, sir. Uh, let's see now. Uh, can anyone here give us some real information so we can deduce what happened? Uh, excuse me, sir, would you mind... Elmo? No, no! Elmo is not Elmo! Elmo is an average puppet! Um, Elmo is a business person going about his business! Uh, Elmo, you talk in third person. You always say your name whenever you talk. How could I possibly not know it's you? Felmo is a business person going about Felmo's business, and Felmo does not have a crippling addiction to pornography. Will you get out of here? Does anybody have any information about what happened at the scene of the crime? Hey, Frankie baby! Does anybody except Grover have information about what happened at the scene of the crime? Oh, 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 I know, I know, Frankie. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> anybody I know. else for the love of freaking God? Hello, Frankie. Hi, Grover. Would you like to describe the robbery? This was not a robbery. This was a hit. Someone is killing puppets. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, how did you deduce that, Grover? Because they did not take any money. Oh! Oh, they did not take the money! Aha! Uh -huh. With this information, we have deduced that this was not a robbery because they did not take the money. Now, Grover, can you describe what exactly you saw? Oh, yes, yes, yes! I saw a very nutty Dalmatian with a very nutty fireman. Oh, it made me feel tingly! Ha ha ha! Alright, that's, that's a bit more information than we needed, Grover, actually, about that. Uh, particular um, uh, uh, aspect of your uh, story. What, what happened oh, then, Grover? Should I not have told you that? Oh, I am so embarrassed. Yeah, this is uh, this is live, Grover. Um, oh, live! Oh, hello, Grover's mommy! Ha ha ha! Look, I am on television! Aren't I so cute and adorable? And with that, this has been Kermit the Frog of Sesame Street News. Uh, possibly of Sesame Street News for the very last time. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled episode of Muppet Fans Talking with J.D., Jared, and Steve! Yay! Oh, what are your pets for? Hello and welcome to Muppet Fans Talking. Join us as Jim Henson fans from around the globe come together with commentary on the news and productions of the Jim Henson Company, Sesame Workshop, Muppets Studio, and beyond. 
Now, here's your host, or at least he's one of them, J.G. Hansel. Hi-ho, and... (coughs) Sorry, frog in my throat. Hi-ho, and welcome to this episode of Muppet Fans Talking, specifically show number nine, in which we are going to be talking about the newly released Happy Time Murders, a Henson alternative film that is an alternative to what Jim Henson would have done. I am joined by my co-hosts, Steve Swanson. Hello, hello. And all the way from the Muppet Mindset, Jared Fairclough. Did I did I hear right that we're not going to be censoring anything this episode? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to censor anything in this show. <laughs> Fuck. There we go. I've gotten that. I've gotten that quick. Let's just get the preliminary one out of the way. Okay, you know, it's, it's actually very fitting, JD, that uh, this show number nine is the one in which we describe the Happy Time Murders because, uh, as you know, the Happy Time Murders makes little to no sense, much like the Beatles' Revolution 9, number nine. True. Number nine. Right, number nine, number right. nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Right. Yes. So... I'm really, really proud of you, Jared, for starting this show off with really a higher caliber of comedy than the trailer for The Happy Time Murders. Like, the way that you just opened us up with a profane word and counted that as a joke, like, you've just raised the bar so, so freaking high, and I I, I approve. I want to thank you, Jared. That's some of the best content I've had all week, actually. Yeah, that's been great. You're very welcome. If you know, if I can do anything else to, you know, class up the joint, let me know. We'll see. We'll, see. well for fifty cents, never mind. Um, let's go <laughs> ahead since we're talking about the Happy Time Murders, which I assume everyone listening has seen. Otherwise, well, otherwise you might be having a happier time than the three of us. I don't know. Actually, but before I make any assessments about what anyone thinks about this because a lot of people have very vastly different opinions on this movie let's go ahead and jump into a classic segment from our old show we're gonna do first impressions first impressions yes that's right this is the segment in which we do just that we give we do basically we do impressions of every single character we already did it you guys both already did impressions we did impressions but we didn't do impressions of every single character in the happy time murders all right let me give you my best goofer well how's your bill beretta and how's your cabin wait let's let's wait i want to hear jared's goofer do it okay (laughs) i hadn't actually i don't actually have one so this is all just oh jared that's not gonna stop him though keep going that's not gonna stop me ready for 50 cents, I'll shuck your dick. I mean, I sound well, like a great an old impression. But <laughs> now, now tell tell me this: which 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 way is the line funnier when he says um, wiener or when he says penis? Because it's one way I in the trailer wiener and it's one funnier. way in the movie. What? I think wiener was funnier. Absolutely. Yeah, right? wiener is funnier. I don't know why. The wiener was a brilliant delivery. Can I, I mean, say, wow. though, if we are talking about first impressions, yes. I will say, f- even though he's only on screen for a minute, I actually have a real soft spot for Goofer. I know. I he know. He was very funny. I think, I, I almost think that minute's worth of footage is worth admission alone. Even though pretty much everything you see is already in the trailer. Even just yeah. the way he says maybe is worth the, you know, however much money you spend. 
Every little bit of Drew's delivery with that character is spot on. It really it's is. Beautiful. I'm One hoping, of the most. I'm hoping for a for a goofer plush at some point. I'm hoping for a goofer centric sequel. I like, wouldn't hold out for anything from this movie, quite honestly. <laughs> By the way, this is a little far past first impressions of the movie. My first yeah, impression it, of the movie was I didn't want to go see it. But I knew I was going to have to because we were going to be here talking about it. So that's my first yeah, impression. I think I had a similar I had a similar take because I, I'm, I wanted to focus on first impressions of of the movie itself, not so much the trailer. Because when you see that trailer, it's like, whoa, OK. Um, but you form you're just first gonna impressions. Count, we all you're, do. You're just we just form first impressions from the trailers that we see. That's why they make trailers. So we can inform right. the impression whereas to... If we want to go see the movie or not, I saw that trailer and was thoroughly disappointed and actually kind of confused and angry because I remember talking about this for 10 years. It took them 10 years to make this. No, no, no. No, wait, 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 wait. It actually took them 12. It's just been 10 since they publicly announced it. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And and uh, the script has been in Brian Henson's hands for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So all that time, and uh-huh. you for for 22 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, did Brian Henson ruin puppets with this movie? <laughs> That's it, guys. Puppets are over. I'm puppets sorry. Are, I think puppets, puppets are over. Are done. I think we're done here. Puppets are, we're done. They here, just gentlemen. closed the it's Center for Puppetry Arts as we were recording. Folks. They just shut the doors closed it down it's we're done no but it's weird because like on the one hand they keep joking about how all of these characters have holes in their butts because they're basically socks and then on the other hand they like have all these organs in them and have sex and yet they have they so they have brains and yet they don't have brains because when they get shot in the head it's just cotton everywhere and if they really are puppets how is how is a puppet born that's what i was thinking like that's uh-huh. I don't I don't want to think about that, but this movie's got me think like it's weird because you have to compare this movie as much as I hate to do this because I don't want to be that guy who's like, well, there's another movie that's vaguely similar, so we have to compare this to that. But I have to talk about Roger Rabbit because no, this no, this is I will I will vehemently disagree. Why do you have, have to, to talk- why do you have to compare it? Yes, okay, there's similarities, but there's similarities between lots of films. We're not comparing them. Look at the film Cowboys and Aliens. Are we comparing that to Toy Story? It's about Cowboys and Aliens. Jared, that's cheap. You know that this is a Roger Rabbit ripoff in a way that there's no ripping off in that case. No, and I will I will disagree that you need to and I say that, Roger Rabbit's one of my favourite films, but I will say why why we why are we comparing them? I don't think it's necessary to compare them. They're two completely separate things. They're not trying to be like each other. Really, Jared? I will say really. I will say really. Because what we have here is a film about... First of all, it's playing with the idea that I guess a lot of different movies are doing right now, to be fair, of imagine a world in which all of these things that we understand um, from media, such as video game characters, we we talked about Wreck-It Ralph before, um, imagine a world that's populated by these characters um just imagine if they're real and what are the rules what's what's sort of the logic of that kind of world um if you do it right that doesn't get too distracting you don't get all caught up in the logic of the world 
and how things work. And the reason why I brought up Who Framed Roger Rabbit is because in that movie, you don't really get too distracted by the fact that it's cartoons and people existing together. You don't spend too much brain power trying to figure out how these things that are drawn come to life and walk around. But the Happy Time Murders just keeps contradicting contradicting itself and drawing attention to this stuff. It keeps drawing attention to the fact that, on the one hand, puppets have holes in their butts where a hand's supposed to go in, and on the other hand, they don't have any hands inside of them when they get was shot. There, and was, were there any jokes whatsoever about them having holes in their butts? Yeah, they were. Yeah, there were. Um, I, I honestly don't recall any of them. Uh, because Connie threatens to, um, sew up the hole in, in the butt, in, um, yeah, to to sew his hole shut. Okay, so I just assumed that was an asshole joke. It could be, but that's, I, I didn't take it that way. Um, I mean, you, but then you do have to ask the question... What even is a puppet if it's not referring to something that can be puppeteered? That's that's the problem that I had too. Is okay, so you're going to it was the puppetry was great. You could see puppets walking around and it looked really good and all that. But we know puppets as things that don't have legs that aren't sentient. And this is a movie that we we talked about the humor aspect of this before because oh puppets are for kids but oh that's funny because these characters are saying things that are so adult and it's funny because teehee puppets are for kids so there's that like there's that bouncing back and forth and now we're doing that with just what is a puppet is it a thing that lives and breathes and i don't know i guess is born at some point um we're not going to get into that but um or is it something that's performed behind a puppet wall um there's it it doesn't let you really figure that out in the movie and and that's kind of one of the things it leaves a lot of things uh undeveloped and that basic concept for me is something that it's it, that didn't ruin the movie there were plenty of things that ruined right. the movie but that's still something that like in 15 years you couldn't have figured out how to develop that Brian because here's the the tricky thing is and i I'm really going to try to not compare it to Roger Rabbit here. I'm really going to try not to. It's just that's an example of a movie that did some of the same things better, and I happen to be talking about those same things right now. I don't have to compare the whole movies in their entireties. I just, this is one particular, the world building is one aspect that that movie did really well. There are other movies I could cite, but that's the closest resemblance. Um, This is, with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you get that they're taking aspects of the particular subject they're talking about, cartoons, how cartoons and cartoon studios work, and what cartoons were considered to be for in that time, Um, and they're focused on a particular time period that will let them explore that story the best, and from that they start building the rest of the world and building a plot on top of that information. Here, it's an interesting situation in that they start to suggest that this is a world in which puppets are known for doing kid shows, for singing and dancing. That's what puppets are made to do, I think one of the characters says. Uh, they're, you know, they're they're for singing and dancing. That's what puppets do. They do kid stuff. That's sort of the, what they kind of try to imply. From then on, basically anything else that has to do with the way puppets operate in this world has almost nothing to do with the fact that they're puppets. Um, or is possibly even antithetical to the fact that they're puppets. Um, so you've got 
the smoking. The idea is that puppets somehow are able to smoke in, in a way that humans aren't letting out a lot more of that, well, smoke out of their mouths, even though, no, you actually have to do careful tricks in, in order to get a puppet to do they that. Smoked. And, well, they really wanted to show that off. Um, like, but okay, I get it. You can smoke. Hey, how about you try drinking through a straw? That's a neat trick, too, while we're at it. And, and a, an even better example is the tongue. Apparently, because puppets aren't people, they can have super long tongues. No, they can't. They're no, puppets. They can't. Puppet tongues can never do anything. Ever. Um, and then, also, puppets are servants in this world. Like, what? What? I mean, if with a good movie, if you want your characters to be second-class citizens, like in Who from Roger Rabbit, I'm sorry, uh, in, in that film... You get that the reasons why they're second-class citizens directly follow from the fact that they are cartoons, um, that they are seen as less real, and that they are uh, just performers who always have to be silly and funny. Um, and that makes them a bit harder to tolerate. In this, puppets are second-class citizens for reasons that aren't really explained very well, but at a certain point, you kind of have to assume it's because of a weird kind of systemic oppression in which puppets are forced to live in our society where we make all of our food with lots of sugar. And so puppets are, if they try to really engage in any of our main ways of eating, basically, with the main foods that are at our grocery stores or in our restaurants, they're going to get high. And so it seems like they're just high and irresponsible all the time. Okay. Um, Can I interject? By all means, Jared, save this. this. And and this is going to sound like I'm being a smartass, and I'm not, because I really do mean this with all due respect to both of you, you are ridiculously overthinking a silly little puppet movie. I mean, why are we having this conversation about other puppet films? I think to to sit there and be like, well, how do these puppets go to a restaurant and eat sugary foods? It's a fucking puppet film. Are we really going to sit here and talk about that? Because I'm sorry, um, um, no, that's just... That's 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 nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking, and it feels like I I disagree. There's a reason why. No, no. See, I feel like you're going into this. Like I know you don't like the film. We've spoken about this a tiny, tiny, very tiny little bit off um off mic. But it feels like now you're just nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking, and I hate it when people do that. Whether it be you, I'm really not. I, well, to well, me, I, I understand what you're saying. To and say, I you can, know, I how do they go, appreciate it. How I do they deal with the sugary foods? Sorry, that doesn't have anything to do with the film. You're sort of nitpicking. You're right. Okay. You're you're absolutely right, Jared. And were this a good movie, and it had other things to stand on, we probably would not be talking anywhere near to the degree that we are about. Yes, all this stupid little minutia. I get it, but because. Because it wasn't fu- because the movie assumed that it was going to be hilarious, and it wasn't. It completely missed the mark there. Now we're looking at all these other things and going, "See, look, you didn't even get this right." But but if it were a better movie, we I don't think we'd be doing that. Quite honestly, now there's no way to know that, but that's that's my feeling on it. And I'm completely in agreement with Steve. If this were a movie in which the world building wasn't too distracting and the story was just solid. I was just completely just immersed in the world, into the story, totally on board with these characters. Everything made sense enough and I was having a good time. I was having a few laughs. Then, sure, I would not be very nitpicky. 
And I mean, we know Henson to be master craftsman when it comes to puppetry and world building and storytelling exactly. in a lot of cases. A lot of cases. Exactly. So Even the Dark it's not Crystal like we got went the world see, building part right. Right. It's not like we went to go see How to Train Your Dragon and we're talking about the functions of a dragon's digestive system. This is, I mean, we're talking about world building the Dark freaking Crystal, which is also not a great movie in many people's opinion, mine included. But as far as world building goes, it's flipping fantastic. Same with Labyrinth. Same with the world of the Muppets that we are conceivably doing this podcast because we all like. Um, all of those things, all of those worlds were created by people around the Hanson Company to some extent. Even if things are that are coming out today, a lot of those things were informed by, if not peopled by, the people who knew and worked with Jim, who knew how to do this stuff. And the Hanson Company hasn't done really anything of really high note in a long time when it comes to puppetry. This movie was, it seemed like from the marketing, this was what they were putting all of their eggs in the basket of this is going to bring back puppetry. This is going to be a huge win for the Henson Company. Look at all these funny adult things we're doing with puppets. We're going to reach a new audience. We're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to give a, a big cash infusion into the company. This was supposed to be a lot of things. And it wasn't. And so now, yeah, we're all disappointed. And now, because the main thing about this movie, the world building, which most people don't really give a shit about or they don't think about as much as we do, but they do notice when it's not there. And the fact that they notice when it's not there is evidenced by everything in this conversation. Okay. Let me clarify just, one thing real fast that's going to yep. make this a bit easier and a bit less um, uh, painful, because already Steve and I kind of sound like we're just being really angry jerks here, and maybe we are. Um, we are. That, that yeah, sounds like us. Are. That sounds <laughs> Sorry, like us, folks, and, that, I, and I don't like that. That went on way too long. Um, but what I should say is, according to the outline that I typed up for this show, we were going to do first impressions, then we were going to talk about the bad stuff that we didn't like, and then we were going to end on all the good stuff. Now I'm thinking that's not working, because we didn't ever segue out of first impressions. I'm not sure we can at this point. So we've trashed it enough. We have, I would yes. really like to hear Jared talk about the movie, because he liked it. I kind of like it. I just also have a lot of negative thoughts. Um... Look, I'm definitely I want to get a uh, let's build up a good defense for this movie and then we can talk about okay. everything else. OK, I'm definitely good. not saying that this is a great film. Let's just point that out there. I know there's a lot of issues with it. I know that, you know, and this is coming from me who, hell, I started this thing by saying the word fuck. This is someone who. Yeah, loves a dirty word and dirty jokes. I do think the film relied too heavily on its haha look a puppet said fuck. Isn't that funny? And that, like, that silly string scene that's in the trailer didn't play at either of the screenings I went to. And I spoke to one of the, um, at the press screening, I spoke to the people who uh, were also reviewing it. And I said, oh, had you seen that scene in the trailer before? And they said, no, we just didn't think that was funny. Like, that was just immature. So, this film definitely isn't perfect. So I'm not saying that when, like, you know, people are going to, like... I feel like our back and forth is me defending a film that at, at times is, isn't, is you know, what's the word, indefensible. That said, I do think a lot of people have gone into reviewing this film, nitpicking the hell out of it, 
And I think a lot of it has to do with that initial trailer. That initial trailer was so jarring and divisive. A lot of people made their minds up about that. And yes, okay, the film's not perfect, but the film has a lot more going for it than to sit here and have a conversation about puppets in restaurants eating sugary foods. So that's probably why I got a little bit defensive about that. That said, that said, what I did like about the film was you take out a lot of the crass jokes, you take out, you know, the silly string scene and the um, cow getting jerked off by an octopus. I think at the heart of it, the storyline between um, Phil and Connie was quite interesting. I thought it was quite sort of compelling, the way they go from absolutely loathing each other to, you know, best friends by the end of it. They have this whole misunderstanding. I thought that was quite interesting, and I think the chemistry between Phil or really Bill and Melissa McCarthy was was enough that uh, that sort of sustained me. Yeah, I to, to sort of jump back to what you were saying before, this movie doesn't deserve a score as low as 22 on Rotten Tomatoes. I agree. And I think that, honestly, the real problem, I, I wanted to say when I was first thinking about how I was going to talk about the Rotten Tomatoes score, that it's sort of a Rotten Tomatoes problem with the way they do scores because they're not, they're not like averaging out the different reviews so much as they're just sort of collecting yays and nays, and that can really skew things in an unfair direction for divisive films. But then I thought about it some more, and then I realized, no, the problem is just the critics. The problem is that there are a lot of critics who looked at the trailer for the film, and they were done. Because when you look at so many of these reviews, they all say, there's no heart in this movie. It's just all crassness all the way down. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Did you and I yeah, see the same uh, movie? That's untrue. All of the trailers, okay, not all of the trailers, half of the trailers for films that they were playing before The Happy Time Murders was shown, with all those, I'm like, I wouldn't be able to handle those because they don't have any heart or soul to them. They're just, these just look like annoying movies that are just annoying. They're just in your face and they're trying to be funny, but they're annoying. When you look at The Happy Time Murders, there's a really, really great connection between Bill and McCarthy that just, it just works. And and e- interestingly, I think even just Bill on his own, like w- as soon as that opening voiceover narration comes in, normally when I hear opening voiceover narration in films, I'm like, no, you're gonna start this way, you're gonna start with a voiceover like every other movie. Normally I tune out or get frustrated by them because I mean, come on, I'm a film major. It's what I do, I get stressed out by movies when they do cliche things. But this time I'm like, yes. I get to hang out in a car with Bill Beretta as Phil hearing his voiceover just talking with me. Like, And he didn't even run himself over. And he didn't. Okay, that was an inside joke, but I like it. <laughs> no one else is going to get it. It's a really, really, really inside joke, but I yeah. like it. If Brian Henson listens to this podcast, which he won't, he definitely won't, but well, I hope he will. Well, he'll have turned it off by now, I assure you. He might get that joke. Um yeah, we kind of screwed the pooch on that one, didn't we? I could just sit in the car with Phil Phillips all day. And because of that, even though this movie has a lot of crap in it that I can't stand, and a lot about it is just so stupid, I'm willing to ride with Phillips through the entire film. And you know what? I saw it in the theaters twice. I was not unhappy the second time. Like... That second time, I never see movies twice, and here I am seeing this movie twice in a week, and you know what? That second time, I still enjoyed being with Phil. I still enjoyed being with Phillips. I still enjoyed the dynamic between Phillips and Edwards. It was just, it was nice. It was just nice. 
Okay, mm. can I say as well? Yeah. What, and I'm asking this to both of you, before this film, just in general, what was your, what were your feelings towards Melissa McCarthy? I didn't know who she was. <laughs> Mine were uh, sort of mixed because I knew that she could be funny. Based on SNL with her spicy, I knew that she could be hilariously funny. Right. So um, Melissa McCarthy is a very divisive... Sorry, go on. I also saw her in Ghostbusters, and so I knew that she could also be very not funny, and I might hate her in this. Okay. See, she's a very divisive figure when it comes to comedy, and comedy is a very um, subjective thing. So, personally, I've always really liked Melissa McCarthy. Even her, you know, crappiest films, I'll still find something to laugh at. So... I, but because she's been so divisive, a lot of people went into this film, and I've seen comment sections where people said, as soon as I saw Melissa McCarthy, I decided this film was shit. And I think that's such a dangerous attitude to have, and such an oh, awful attitude to have. And critics are the same. A lot of critics have said, oh, Melissa McCarthy's just doing her thing. Yeah, she is just doing her thing. Yes, yeah, she sort of does her, you know, little one-liners, and she does her physical gags. You know, she's built up giant career on it obviously there's an appeal to it just because you don't understand an appeal to something doesn't mean that it's awful and that's why movie critics i think are really dangerous and i mean it's so easy these days to just go online and find opinions that um that's just what's the word after um that validate your own opinion if that makes sense. So a lot of people are going on and reading reviews and just looking for the ones that trash Melissa McCarthy in this film, where I thought she did a great job. I think she did a great job considering she was essentially a straight man to a bunch of puppets. Yeah. But she still managed to get in her moments. But, yeah, there's people, and I think it's so unfair that there's people out there and critics out there who have written this film off purely because she's in it. That's wrong. Yeah, that's a dumb reason to, to do that. I don't even know who she is, so I had no preconceptions of any of that going into it. I will say, I, I'm glad I, I watched some of the credits and some of the little outtakes at the end because this movie looked like it was a ton of fun to make. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. When I, I, I was thinking for a long time when I was watching the movie for the first time because I think I was more frustrated with it the first time I watched it than the second time. Why would Brian Henson really want to make this movie? Why is this the film that has him for 12 years holding on saying, yeah, this is the movie we've got to make? And right, eventually right. it occurred to me, it's probably not because it's the movie he wanted to watch. It's because it's the movie he wanted to hang out on set with Bill Beretta making. Mm -hmm. Yes, very likely. Um, what's his name? Adam Sandler has said before, like he, God knows he's made some crappy films in the last mm -hmm. sort of 10 years. He has said... Most of the time, he's just making films, not for the final product, but just because he wants to hang out with his friends in Hawaii for three months. Right, exactly. And I yeah. think that's fine. I don't think there's an issue with that. No, of course. If that's the life that you can that you can live, and uh, it works for you, and you know, if people like what you do, there there are some people who like what he does. You know, I liked early Adam Sandler stuff. I can't watch any of it now, but that's fine. Right. I don't but, have I mean, to love it. If Brian um, Henson made this film just to hang out with Bill Beretta and to give, um, you know, some of the puppeteers he's been working with for the last 10, 15 years 
you know, bit more to do and, you know, some film set experience, because a lot of these guys haven't done films before. Yeah, who cares? Let him do it. Right, but, uh, and and yes, although I will also say, I the reason I think I, that we all think about this film uh, a little differently than anything else that came out in theaters last weekend is because we care about the Henson Company. At some level, we all do want the Henson Company to do well. We want them to produce stuff that's good because that's good for the, their company. That means they're able to keep producing good stuff. And it's frustrating to us when they don't do that. But you, you mentioned something else earlier about, you know, why are we overthinking this movie so much? And, uh, well, to that, I, I guess I just have one question in response. Hey, JD? Yeah, Steve? Do you remember Sesame Street? Um, I don't remember how to get to Sesame Street. I can't tell you that, but uh, I think I remember the show. Okay, you remember the show? Did you like Sesame Street? Yeah, sure. I liked it a lot. Did you? Okay, all right. I, I thought it was pretty good, too, actually, yeah. Do, do you remember the Muppets? <gasps> yeah, I love the Muppets. You remember? Cool. Okay, I made okay, a podcast good, good, about good. them once. Yeah, yeah, that, that's some good. Remember, uh, do you remember Muppet Christmas Carol? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that Wasn't was... that good? That was that was a, a blessing. It was God, that was such special. a good movie, right? It had so much heart and great music, and it was yeah. funny. So and, much warmth. Right, right. Hey, how about Muppet Treasure Island? Do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah. Very much yeah, so. That was good Lots too. of fun. Yeah, all yeah. the all the rats were like rats. Yeah. Yeah, and the pigs and all the and it was just it was it was a good time, right? It was a lot of fun. So, what if? Hey, would you like to see a new movie directed by the guy that directed The Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island? Yes, absolutely. Would you like to see that? Okay. Yes. All right. Now, if I told you there was a new movie coming out from the guy whose, whose dad started Sesame Street, and we, we just talked about Sesame Street mm-hmm. quite a bit, mm-hmm. you might notice, okay? Mm-hmm. And then we, we revisited the fact that Brian Henson directed both Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island. Yeah. What? What kind of movie would you expect to see at the end of this conversation? Oh gosh, Steve, I just now I think it might I, be a little wrong. It, it might be a little, you know, it might not be for little little kids. Okay, right? Okay, okay. but I, I, but what I, kind of movie? What you might might you expect to see? You know, I just see a movie that's warm, that's fun. Uh, that's very playful, but that's just, you know, it's just having a good time, you know? It's one of those great family-friendly romps where you're just going on an adventure and singing songs and, you know, lots of great music. Just lots of singing and dancing okay. and right. fun. Okay, all right, I'm going to jump in and completely... Now, Your Honor, let me... No, 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 wait, 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 I'm, I'm done. Just... I'm almost done. I have two more sentences to go, okay? The fault in this movie does not lie with the Henson Company. It does not, because I agree with everything you guys just said. It was a great time for Brian and uh, and all the the crew to hang out and have a have a great time making a fun movie. This is the fault of STX because they marketed this movie in a way that audiences were not going to receive it well. I think if the marketing had been done different, we would be talking about a very different score on Rotten Tomatoes and probably would have been equipped to like the movie a lot more than we did. Okay, I'm gonna very quickly jump back to when I butted in before. JD, you just said, and I know you were being passive-aggressive and smart-arsy, but you just said, oh, you know, I would expect something fun and happy and a family-friendly, you know, romp. 
well, why is that Brian Henson's fault? Why is that the movie's fault that you went in expecting something family friendly? Why should he have to make something family friendly? Not at all. Not at all. Well, that's that's yeah. very much how your little uh, theater of the mind uh, piece just came across. No, that was my illustration. Is S- that the fault is not with Henson on this? Right. I want to emphasize and I do that agree strongly. That STX probably screwed the pooch on this one. Right. It's ST. I, I lay this at the feet of STX, not at all at the feet of Henson. Yeah, I'm. I'm in the same boat here. Is they didn't make a. They didn't make a terrible movie. We they just talked not. about a no. lot of things we really liked about it too. Yes, we're we're really kind of shitting on a lot because we were not. At, it it wasn't set up in front of audiences to be the kind of movie that it wound up being. Okay, they talked a lot about Sesame. No street, all all was no, uh, no sesame, all street, and they mentioned the hell out of the Muppets with this, and there, this is not a Muppet thing. This is exactly like, and this is going to be one of those new things. Get ready for this, like when everyone talked about Veggie Monster, okay, and we all climbed the walls because we were pissed off and we had to explain about Veggie Monster one more time. This is not a Muppet film, and a lot of reviewing articles even talk about this like it's a Muppet film, and right. they mention Muppets Correct. a lot, yeah. and it's not that, and the three of us are aware of that, and Ryan Rowe and Joe Hennis also know that, and that's about it. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's a disturbing thing. At the very least, the opening credits, or the opening logo, sticks the Henson alternative name there instead of the Jim Henson Company, which is maybe helpful a little bit, but by and large... I'm just not sure that audiences were ready for this one. Um, yeah. The, I do <sighs> think, and I wrote this in my review that I posted yesterday, my spoiler-filled review. I do think that... Let me read, because I have got it open. I'm going to read my exact wording. May um, I say something quickly in the meantime, or are you about to go? No, you go for it. Okay. So it's, I, I should say that, obviously, I was talking the way that I was talking a moment ago about what I would expect from Brian Henson just because I wanted to go along with Steve's bit. Right, yeah, right. and I do understand that, but it, but there it, are so many it, people out there who would say that not being passive-aggressive or not being... Right. Not, not, not being ironic, which I, right. I understand that's what you were doing, and I was sitting here rolling my eyes the whole time, still enjoying the, as I said, theatre of the mind. Can I, can I say one thing very, very quickly also? Jared, yeah. whenever I read anything that you've written, now I read it in an Australian accent. Thank you. Good. Yeah, you, you That's how do. it should be. Yes. Okay, sorry, That's JD, only do problem. you want to say anything else, or can I now read out? I, I, all I was going to say is that what I really expect from Brian Henson at this point uh, could be just about anything, because I know he's done the Creature Shop Challenge, um, and that's a pretty different beast, and it's something really, really cool that I really like. Um, but I've also, because of Stuff the Unstrung and Puppet Up, come to expect a lot of that adult, handsome, alternative, raunchy stuff that's trying to right. push the edge and say, hey, here's all this naughty fun that Jim Henson loved, and we're going to try to bring that to the screen. And yeah, so what I'd like... kind of become a dirty old man, huh? <laughs> so, so after you go, Jared, I, I think we should come back to Puppet Up and how this movie kind of compares to that since this, according to the interview with Brian Henson, if we're comparing the happy time murders to anything, it should be to puppet up because this is sort of the product of that. It's the, it's the, it's the goal is to sort of bring that sort of thing to the screen. So right. I'd like to go there when we can. Jared, okay. you go ahead. First. Well, look, this will probably be 
This sort of sums up my feelings on the film. Okay. And this is the last paragraph of my review. Yeah. So I've written... So, unlike some others, I don't think The Happy Time Murders was a waste of felt, nor do I think it was a boring dud. Instead, I think it was a film that had trouble trying to figure out what it wanted to be, and maybe lean on the crass jokes a little too hard a little too often. But when you take out these jokes, there's a generally interesting story at the centre of it. The Happy Time Murders isn't going to win Best Picture, hell it might even get nominated for a Razzie. But I can see this film in 20 years being a cult favourite, and I'm thankful that I understand its appeal more than others because it saved me from having to write two reviews on a flaming pile of horseshit. Well, you're That's right about a, that. It is going to become a cult classic. Right. I'm so not I, completely convinced of that. Yes. I honestly think you give it 20 years and this is going to be one of those. It's like um, Meet the Feebles. Meet the Feebles is, again, just an adult. Okay. All right. Like yeah. A, like an adult puppet film that didn't review well, didn't do well when it came out. Now it's one of those cult classics. I feel like this is going to go down as one of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm kind of surprised this came out in theaters, quite honestly. This is something that I could see, like, you know, going to Showtime or something like that. I mean, I'm glad they did get it out in theaters, but uh, do you it think just it didn't... Do you think you would have felt any different about it if it had gone, like, straight to Netflix? If it was straight to Netflix, I think it would have fared better. I think so it would have been better. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. yeah. You have certain expectations, especially since... Movies are insane now. They're all like three bazillion dollar blockbusters with explosions and 16 characters and interweaving. Oh, that's the Marvel Universe. Never mind. Every movie that comes out is a Marvel movie except this one. So because this isn't in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe, it really stood out, I think, to a lot of people. Oh, in a good way or a bad way? Like I think I mean, what I'm saying is I think the Happy Time Murders should have taken place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know what? I think they might have had a better job at keeping their universe consistent and logical if it had Tell been... Tell me that's not a great idea. It's it's a fun idea. It's <laughs> I, I, I still can't tell what universe it does exist in because there's a line when... Phil, there's a part where Philip says the line, looks like this mystery is brought to you by the letter P. And I'm like, does he... He can't know what Sesame Street is... Because that can't exist in this universe because they cancel that out by saying that and see, the Happy here Time we Gang... Overanalyzing it again. I know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get distracted by it, but it's like... Uh, that's the thing. Is Jared, nitpicking, when you said nitpicking, the movie... Nitpicking, nitpicking, when, when it's... These are all <laughs> glaring signs to me that the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. And that's what keeps bugging me. It's not I know what in, I want to not... be. JD, do you know who you want to be? Steve, who do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Barack Obama so I can have whatever I want for dinner. That is an old, old joke. And but it still I like makes it. me smile. Still makes me smile, too. No one's going to get that joke. But, again, we'll get it. And that's what counts. Because sometimes you got to make productions that are just for yourself and your friends. That's um, true. Sometimes you do. <laughs> sometimes it's just about having fun behind the scenes. And we got there. Yes. no one else likes it. <laughs> uh. um, but it's... It's true. That's the thing is the movie just can't decide what kind of a movie it's going to be. It couldn't even decide what the villain's main motivation is. Like by the time you get to the end, he's asking, so why did you kill the rest of the Happy Time gang? And it's like she's got three different answers. She wanted to see him suffer. She wanted to have all the money. She just found out that she just really liked killing. It's like movie. If you want a really strong mystery story, you get one motive. Oh, no, really see, I, think, 
I think it would have been fine with the first two. I don't think you needed the I really liked killing and I was really good at it. I think had it been I went to see you suffer and me and Elizabeth Banks' character wanted all the money, I would have been like, yeah, right, fair enough. But then I did think that I really like killing. I remember thinking to myself, eh, that seems like a bit of a cop-out. But, of course... Okay. Hey, Jared? Yes, Dave? In 20 years, when this movie does become a cult classic, and we all go to the theater to see it again, what will people throw at the screens? Steve, what they throw at the screens hasn't been invented yet. It'll be invented in 2023 by a man named... Ryan Dozier. Huh. Wow. But wow. not that Ryan Dozier. Oh, but no. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, no, Another one. one's coming. Another yep. one's coming. Wow. It's like a book I read once. Okay, never mind. By the time so, you get to 2023, there are just going to be Ryan Dozier's everywhere. It's a whole it's a whole conspiracy theory involving the Walt Disney Company. But oh darn, what was I going to say? Oh, where was I? I had somewhere. Oh, yes. If it does well, become a cult classic. Well, you just ruined the future. If it does become a cult classic, I know how Brian Henson is going to talk about this movie because Brian Henson has a pretty, you know, honest, oh, really? open, blunt, carefree way of talking about his movies or talking about Henson's company movies. Be, well, because I know that the way Brian Henson talks about stuff like Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal, he's yeah. always like, yeah, it has its problems as a movie. Like, he'll, he'll say those things when all the Henson daughters are like, this was a very special project. Like that's the, oh, they'll yeah, always yeah. talk about it in that very, you know, warm, loving or it's way. it's like sacred and, yeah. Right. I want to hear how the Henson daughters are going to talk about the Happy Time Murders. Oh, this was a project that was very special to Brian Henson's heart because Brian Henson had a love for silly string ejaculation jokes. And that's very <laughs> special. Like, I just can't imagine the Henson daughters talking about this movie in a fond way. I but just, then when, when you come to Brian Henson, he will say, as you mentioned, something like, well, my father always liked blue humor. So <laughs> pretty much that's as much Brian Henson as I have. We did this so much when you were in California. It's um, true. Pretty, for I pretty can't much think the whole of what, California what, what, what trip. What might Brian say, J.D.? See, now, Steve, I think you do the best, Brian, because the whole time we were in California, whenever you started doing Brian Henson, all it took was a couple of words. My father, and I was My gone. My father. <laughs> I would crack up every time you did Brian Henson, <sighs> and you would crack up pr- almost any time I did almost any voice, which was great. Well, I here's, really appreciated that. Here's what will be really good. The, one of the best things about the Happy Time Murders in 20 years, when it's a... Uh, when it's a cult classic and we throw those as yet uninvented by Ryan Dozier objects at the movie screens is the Happy Time Murders will enjoy a very prominent spot in the Hensonland theme park, J.D. Ooh, the Hensonland theme park. Come to Hensonland. Yes. Oh, boy. Are we doing this segment now or are we saving it for later? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, if we could do it for later, we could just tease it for now. Let's just say, tease it for now. Coming soon, a trip to Hensonland. This is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. It's really going to be fun. But for now, let me say this. I think that The Happy Time Murders works well as a buddy movie. It works well as a good story between uh, these two main characters and their history together. It does not work as a comedy because it's just not very funny at all. And it does not work as a mystery story or as a neo-noir because the mystery sucks. Like, the whole writing of the villain's plot sucks. Everything about that sucks. Like, the whole time, 
as as soon as he's reading the uh, the contract and says, if someone dies, their wife gets the money. I'm like, okay, the redhead's the wife. Continue. Like, I just knew she was the villain from then on. Oh, really? See, I had he, no idea she was the villain until uh, it was revealed at the end. Oh, to, oh yeah, my gosh. Too. Every time we got a new clue, a new piece of information, I'm like, yep, it is the redhead. Continue. Reveal it. Come on. No, like, see, when, I always, I just saw her as a, um, almost as an unnecessary gateway to the graphic scenes. Um, I didn't pick up whose wife she was. That's where the movie got me. And so then when I was really lost is with the reveal that Banks was still alive. At that point, I'm like, what? No. Yeah, I did think that was stupid. That is not allowed. And so the whole, the second time I was watching the movie, that whole scene, I've got my eyes glued to the screen. Like, is this even possible? And I'm thinking about it like it's freaking, like I'm watching Penn and Teller fool us. Like, okay. I, I see the moves that she would need to do to set up this magic trick. She's got the black tinted windows, which is going to let her escape from the car. She's not wearing her heels in this scene. She's got the converses on, which means she can escape quietly. But darn it, the camera's on the car the whole time. And there's only four seconds, which isn't her, doesn't give her enough time to get away safely. And the biggest problem is the cops are on the scene immediately and never figure out that whatever body she planted there wasn't her. Like, the biggest problem with this movie is that the whole time I'm like, all of you police officers are failing miserably. It's all stupid. This is all so... I also don't think that her being alive at the end was necessary in the slightest. It didn't add anything. It didn't mean anything. She didn't add anything to the scene. It was completely unnecessary. It doesn't make sense for her character because she's suddenly turning on Phillips. Like, what? She liked him. What? But um, did she like him or was she silly stringing him, him along because she was working with Sandra? She had no need to play him. But the, the biggest problem, of course, is that according to the contract, it makes more sense for uh, Claire, Sandra, White, Peterson, whatever... All, she's got like five names in the movie. It makes more sense for the redhead to just kill Banks as soon as possible and get the money. It only makes sense if Sandra kills off Elizabeth Banks. That's what makes... If you want to have a character come back who we thought was dead but was actually a villain, you know you know who would have been a good one to do? Goofer. Because we never saw him die. All we saw was the body afterwards and you can sew together a fake puppet body. You can fake the dead body, and they have no good way with no with no DNA. They've got no good way to check that. So they but would Goofer gladly assume that, Goofer's Goofer dead. had a heart of gold. That's true, but wouldn't it have been great if he came back as a villain in the end, and it turned out the redhead was married to Goofer? Like the whole time he's playing this drugged out of his mind guy who couldn't possibly be the mastermind behind it all, but he is. Oh, that would have been satisfying. That would have been cool. <sighs> Sorry, I was just living out my little fantasy, rewriting the whole movie. I gotta stop doing that, because I need to focus on my bigger project that I'm working on right now, which is rewriting The Dark Crystal. Oh, you're rewriting it, huh? I am. I'm re- Actually, that's not a joke. I'm seriously considering how I'm going to rewrite The Dark Crystal to make it work as a story. Yeah, good luck. Exciting, huh? Yeah. yeah. I think I can make an entertaining movie about it. We'll okay. see. We'll All see. Right. And with that, you guys want to go to commercial? Please. All right, we'll be right back after this. For information on how you can become a sponsor of Muppet Hub's podcast productions, 
please send an email to contact at jdhansel.com with the subject sponsor. Yeah, but see, the problem with the really big ones is that they make it harder to appreciate the average ones, and that's just a darn shame. I think... I don't know. I, I think she should have taken JD. that into consideration before sampling his song. JD. Hmm? J hey. Hey, we're back. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, hi, everyone. Uh, uh, welcome back to Muppet Fans Talking. We've decided that we've exhausted ourselves with ranting about the Happy Time Murders too much. Oh, so boy. Whew, have we ever. We're just going to start wrapping this up and moving this towards a close. And to do that, we're going to play our favorite segment, or at least it's one of mine, A Toast and a Roast. All right. Woo. This is tough because there are a lot of people I could toast and a lot of people I could roast. I think all of us feel that way. But, uh, Jared, you've already written about this film. You've already got your thoughts on paper. So maybe you should start. You've probably got the clearest idea. Okay. For my roast, I'm going to roast STX. Yeah. I think here, they here. marketed the film poorly. I think they are to blame for a lot of the lack of press. I mean, you look at the press... I think the only um, interview anyone did was Joel McHale went on Conan and talked about it. I don't think Melissa McCarthy went on anything. Maya Rudolph didn't go on anything. Elizabeth Banks didn't go on anything. Um, besides, you know, a one-minute, not-very-good clip of Phil on Jimmy Kimmel, there was very little publicity, besides the Ink Hole Lounge that they made up. But even that was something that you had to be in Los Angeles to actually go and see and appreciate. So I feel like the whole press of this film really let it down. So that's my roast. Yeah. My toast is going to go to Drew Massey. Yeah. Drew Massey did two main characters in this film. He did Vinny the Vulture and he did Goofa. Vinny was just an amazing character anyway, just design-wise. Yeah. Like, genuinely floored me with just how well he was built, with how well he's performed, everything like that. And then Goofa, like I said at the start, he's only on screen for a minute, but he might be my favourite part of the film. Everything he says is horrible. Everything he says is something that we've just gone on ranting about while we didn't enjoy. But yet, when it came from him, I found it really appealing. And I think that's completely to do with Drew's um, performance. All right. Now, I'm actually going to roast something that's going to get you a little bit ticked off, Jared, because I actually strongly disagree with you on something. I am going to roast the puppet building in this film, the puppet design, particularly... For uh, the red-headed villain, who's got so many names I can't pick one. Um, arguably in general, I think this applies to Phil as well, but primarily for her. Because for so many of these characters, again, like I said last show about the Dark Crystal, if you put more expressive faces in there, it would be a far more interesting movie. But as it is, I cannot stand looking at that redhead puppet's face in any scene. Because if you just drop the audio, it's just, it's the same tone the whole time like during the scene when you've got the silly string squirting everywhere and she's screaming and screaming and screaming if you cut the audio it doesn't look like she's going ah it looks like she's going eh. and it's just frustrating that they couldn't get any freaking emoting out of that hideously ugly puppet and even phil's expression looked the same for like half the movie he's, right. he's got that big lip that's there always in your way, forcing his expression one way, and that really so, ticked me off. I will agree with you that I think Sandra was poorly built. 
because, yeah, you're right, there was no expression in her face whatsoever. Phil, I think, yeah, okay, there wasn't much expression, but I think Bill did a great job, even just with, like, a little twist of the head, or even mm -hmm. the camera moves that um, Brian Henson was choosing. I think they got a lot of emotion out of a very emotionless puppet. They did. They did a really, really great job with that. And that's why I think I'm going to go ahead and toast. Hopefully I'm not stealing this from you, Steve. I'm going to go ahead and toast Bill Beretta. Because darn it, if I didn't love hanging out with his character for this movie. I just, it could have been voiceover the whole time for all I cared. Because I just enjoyed hanging out with Phil. He was just pleasant. Steve? Oh, me. Oh, um... Yeah. I am going to toast the as-yet-unborn Ryan Dozier for inventing whatever the thingy is that he invents that we all get to throw at the screen in 20 years when we all finally really like this movie as a cult classic. Here, here. Amen. Uh... I'm going to roast um, probably a nice tri-tip later on this evening. I, I haven't had hmm. dinner yet. so Wait a minute. Uh, That's cheating. <laughs> hmm. I, Are you having a hard time thinking about something negative about this movie, Steve? Is it just too I, I am, actually. Yes, I am. Um, I'm going to roast most of this podcast, I think, at this point. <laughs> Um, I don't Thanks, know, I, Steve. I don't have a good roaster. Okay, we've we've like we've dogged on this thing. What what is there left to talk about? Okay, it didn't have uh, a great soundtrack. How's that? It had a great score, but not a great soundtrack. I'll give right. you that the soundtrack exactly. was not working. Okay. Like when there they, should when have they... been, there should have been more uh, more catchy 80s dance songs in this soundtrack there there i said it i know we were all avoiding it this entire time where were the thompson twins where was aha where's thomas dolby when you need him and with that we've come to the end of another episode of muppet fans talking i am jd hansel and joining me has been i'd like to be in a porn boutique with an octopus massaging on a cow. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I don't know where else you're going with that, but I'm That's happy all with I had. that. All right, Steve Jared. Swanson from, from this podcast. That's what I'm from. Oh, yeah, pretty much at this point. Jared? Uh, Jared, yay, that's me. From Muppet Mindset, MuppetMindset.com. Type your Muppet Mindset and Google will come up. All right, and with that, I'm J.D. Hansel, and I love singing and dancing. You think there's a better one than that? No, I think that's great. All right. All right. Well, you got to run, right, Jared? Hey, Jared, thank you so much. Man. He bought it. He's gone. Oh, gosh. Thank goodness. All right. <sighs> now that we can start the real show, where would you like to begin, Steve? <laughs>